Part seven of Mudfog and Other Sketches by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Newfeld. Familiar epistle from a parent to a child, aged two years and two months. My child, to recount with what trouble I have brought you up, with what an anxious eye I have regarded your progress, how late and how often I have sat up at night working for you, and how many thousand letters I have received from and written to your various relations and friends, many of whom have been of a querulous and irritable turn, to dwell on the anxiety and tenderness with which I have, as far as I possessed the power, inspected and chosen your food, rejecting the indigestible and heavy matter which some injudicious but well-meaning old ladies would have had you swallow, and retaining only those light and pleasant articles which I deemed calculated to keep you free from all gross humours, and to render you an agreeable child, and one who might be popular with society in general, to dilate on the steadiness with which I have prevented your annoying any company by talking politics, always assuring you that you would thank me for it yourself some day when you grow older, to expatiate, in short, upon my own assiduity as a parent, is beside my present purpose, though I cannot but contemplate your fair appearance, your robust health, and unimpeded circulation, which I take to be the great secret of your good looks, without the liveliest satisfaction and delight. It is a trite observation, and one which, young as you are, I have no doubt you have often heard repeated, that we have fallen upon strange times, and live in days of constant shiftings and changes. I had a melancholy instance of this only a week or two since. I was returning from Manchester to London by the mail-train, when I suddenly fell into another train, a mixed train of reflection, occasioned by the dejected and disconsolate demeanour of the post-office guard. We were stopping at some station where they take in water, when he dismounted slowly from the little box in which he sits in ghastly mockery of his old condition, with pistol and blunderbuss beside him, ready to shoot the first highwayman, or railwayman, who shall attempt to stop the horses which now travel, when they travel at all, inside, and in a portable stable invented for the purpose. He dismounted, I say, slowly and sadly from his post, and looking mournfully about him, as if in dismal recollection of the old roadside public-house, the blazing fire, the glass of foaming ale, the buxom handmaid and admiring hangers-on of tap-room and stable, all honoured by his notice, and retiring a little apart, stood leaning against a signal-post, surveying the engine with a look of combined affliction and disgust which no words can describe. His scarlet coat and golden lace were tarnished with ignoble smoke. Flakes of soot had fallen on his bright green shawl, his pride in days of yore. The steam, condensed in the tunnel from which we had just emerged, shone upon his hat like rain. His eye betokened that he was thinking of the coachman, and, as it wandered to his own seats and his own fast-fading garb, it was plain to see that he felt his office and himself had alike no business there, and were nothing but an elaborate practical joke. As we whirled away, 
I was led insensibly into an anticipation of those days to come, when mail-coach guards shall no longer be judges of horse-flesh, when a mail-coach guard shall never even have seen a horse, when stations shall have superseded stables, and corn shall have given place to coke. In these dawning times, thought I, exhibition-rooms shall teem with portraits of Her Majesty's favourite engine, with boilers after nature by future landseers. Some Amberg, yet unborn, shall break wild horses by his magic power, and the dress of a mail-coach guard exhibit his trained animals in a mock mail-coach. Then shall wondering crowds observe how that, with the exception of his whip, it is all his eyes, and crowned heads shall see them fed on oats, and stand alone unmoved and undismayed, while counters flee affrighted when the courses neigh. Such, my child, were the reflections from which I was only awakened, then, as I am now, by the necessity of attending to matters of present, though minor, importance. I offer no apology to you for the digression, for it brings me very naturally to the subject of change, which is the very subject of which I desire to treat. In fact, my child, you have changed hands. Henceforth I resign you to the guardianship and protection of one of my most intimate and valued friends, Mr. Ainsworth, with whom and with you my best wishes and warmest feelings will ever remain. I reap no gain or profit by parting from you, nor will any conveyance of your property be required, for in this respect you have always been literally Bentley's miscellany, and never mine. Unlike the driver of the old Manchester mail, I regard this altered state of things with feelings of unmingled pleasure and satisfaction. Unlike the guard of the new Manchester mail, your guard is at home in his new place, and has roistering highwaymen and gallant desperadoes ever within call. And if I might compare you, my child, to an engine, not a Tory engine, not a Whig engine, but a brisk and rapid locomotive, your friends and patrons to passengers, and he who now stands towards you in loco parentis as the skilful engineer and supervisor of the whole, I would humbly crave leave to postpone the departure of the train on its new and auspicious course for one brief instant, while, with hat in hand, I approach side by side with the friend who travelled with me on the old road, and presume to solicit favour and kindness in behalf of him and his new charge, both for their sakes and that of the old coachman, Boz. End of Part 7 End of Mudfog and Other Sketches By Charles Dickens